back. I am back after six months. No, 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 no. Six weeks. Weeks. <laughs> weeks. Six weeks. I know. It's been about six weeks since the last podcast, but I'm not going to lie. I needed a vacation. I needed a break. I needed, after two months solid of forcing myself to get props done and so forth for Tenocon. I needed a break from forcing myself to get things done. It, it was that was rough. That was really rough. I figured, ah, eh, you know, I've got most of the parts printed. I can get this done, no problem. But you know, people ask me if I could ever do props full time, and I mean, there's no freaking way. Financially, it ain't gonna happen. But mentally, it was. I was burned out. I was burned out, and the thought of having to be forced to create, whether it's the, the, the podcast or the props or whatever, I just needed a break, and I am so glad I did that. <laughs> I really am very glad. Now, it's one thing, I, I do the podcast because I like to, not because I have to, and I understand that, so the fact that I've taken six weeks off from the last podcast i feel kind of bad about it because i know that there are still at least two people who listen to the show but i've never done it because i have to i do it because i want to and the fact that i've come back after six weeks instead of saying nah i'm not gonna record another episode i'm done it shows that i still want to but i just two months solid of Gotta get this done, gotta get this done, gotta get this done, gotta get this done, gotta get this done. I needed a break from gotta get this done. I still do a lot of streaming. I, I probably stream three to four nights a week, which, yes, that could go to the podcast, but it, it's amazing what kind of a community I have over there. The problem is with the podcast, nobody sends email, nobody responds, and that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's completely different when you stream and you've got, you, you get that immediate feedback and you see the same people coming back time and time and time again. Doesn't matter whether you streamed the day before. Doesn't matter if you didn't stream since, you know, the previous weekend, whatever. But to see the same people come back every time and they're there and they're active and they're chatting every time. That is very, that, that is very intoxicating and very addictive. If you've never done if you, if, you, if you play video games, actually, no, you don't have to play video games. You could do whatever. You could draw. You could you could paint. You could simply you could simply chat. You could play music. Well, as, as long as it doesn't violate, you know, the uh, the good old RIAA rules and so forth. If if you're a musician, that sort of thing, and you've never streamed before, streamed live, you should try it. I understand if you've never done anything like that before, there is a hell of a lot of intimidation to it. You're putting yourself out in the public. You're putting yourself out for scrutiny, for criticizing, you know, for, for people criticizing you, for people trolling you and insulting you because they're dicks, but they can be banned and blocked. But if you can get a good group of people to hang out with you every time, it is really fun and it is worth it. Now, I don't have the following with this podcast because I don't follow through on it as much as I should, as much certainly as much as I used to. And I can keep saying that I'm going to try to change that, and clearly I'm not good at keeping that particular promise. But still, I am here, and I appreciate those of you who have, who have stuck around with me 
like I said, maybe two or three of you, and I don't know, I, I still have not checked the statistics for this podcast and how many times it's been downloaded in years. I don't care. You know, I could tell that it's not a popular podcast because, well, first of all, it's a flooded market. There are a ton of podcasts out there that talk about movies, but also because I've got certain bandwidth limitations on my website, and I've only once gotten a warning on that. And I must have said something controversial that people download. I don't know what happened. I don't care. I have no idea what the download statistics for this show are. But it doesn't matter. I keep doing it because I want to do it. And that's all there is to it. And I rhymed and I didn't mean to. So anyway, not as much. I mean, eh, I guess there might be enough stuff here. The stack, it doesn't seem to be that huge. But no matter how small or thick the stack happens to be, I always somehow managed to make the podcast about an hour long. I guess because I just ramble on like I'm doing now. So there's not a whole lot going on. There's so much talk about the strikes. There's still going on both SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild. So a lot of movies are being pushed away. Most movies have completely stopped production except for like a lot of independent studios. So there really isn't a whole hell of a lot going on in the movie scene. So who knows? This podcast might be a very brief one. We'll see. But on we go. So we'll start with streaming like we always do. Disney is hiking the prices of ad-free Disney Plus and Hulu and rolling out a bundle. Uh, they're going to expand Disney Plus with ads to the UK, Canada, and Europe in November. That's the short of it. So Disney is following through on their plan to raise streaming prices as well as launch a bundled version of Disney and Hulu Plus. And quite frankly, this is not really much of a surprise. So after launching an ad-supported version of Disney Plus and seeing it gain early traction, the company said they're going to expand it to the UK, Canada, and select European markets beginning on November 1st. The ad-supported prices for Disney Plus and Hulu are not changing. Uh, the bundle for their ad-free versions will go live on September 6th, with the new ad-supported plans starting at four pounds, well, five pounds or six euros a month or $8 a month in Canada. Although it does say that those who are with the premium tier with no ads will see price increases in December, although it doesn't say what those price increases will be. And on top of that, uh, Disney is joining Netflix with fighting against password sharing. So according to this, the company will roll out tactics to mitigate password sharing sometime in 2024. And Bob Iger said that while Disney will see some effects from the rollout, it says that uh, the initiatives to prevent password sharing won't be completed next year, so they're going to keep going into 2025, maybe later. So look out, if you are sharing passwords for your Disney Plus account, they're coming after you now, just like Netflix did for their users. I mentioned on the last podcast how there are a number of cheap Chinese Android TV boxes that are coming pre-infected with a bunch of... Why, why is this pre-infected? They're coming infected with botnet malware in them. Well, apparently a number of them have now been found to have a second round of botnet malware installed. So all of the boxes in question are made by All Winner and Rockchip, which are two Chinese-based companies that, of course, somehow, miraculously, have hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon. Yeah, totally legit. Apparently these devices have been launching powerful uh, denial-of-service attacks, or will secretly download a click bot that will click on ads in the background, which is basically committing ad fraud. And I mean, that in and of itself, it doesn't really affect you. It's just ad fraud being done on your box. But uh, 
using your box to stage a denial of service attack, that's a problem. And if your box is caught participating in a denial of service attack, it is very possible that your ISP might shut your internet connection down to stop it from occurring. So yeah, take those a little bit more seriously. So the malware apparently can be acquired in one of two ways. Either it's put there by a firmware update from the manufacturer, which of course you will never notice, uh, or it can be a side effect of downloading third-party streaming apps that promise free content. So there are plenty of apps out there that say, yeah, 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 you can stream all these things for free, and most of them are not legit, and they do it simply so that they can get malware into your system. And worse, what they don't mention here, because, hello, you know, I've kind of worked in IT for 30 years, they can act as a, a method of entry into your network and infecting your systems, stealing your data, installing malware on your PCs, maybe even your Macs. So it's not just that these are possible vectors for denial of service or, or clickbait or whatever, or sorry, you know, the um, clickbot, but they can also act as a vector of attack on your other devices on your network. So if you're using one of these cheap Chinese streaming boxes, you really should just be getting rid of it and getting something a bit more legit, especially when they have Chromecasts for 30, 40 bucks. Or maybe just use BitTorrent and your own Plex server. Wait, wait, John, you're recommending pirating and using BitTorrent and all that? Yes, yes, now that we know that streaming services are not paying people what they should be paying them, I don't care about piracy anymore. You know, studies were going on saying all about, how, oh, you shouldn't pirate because it's taking money away from people who deserve it. Well, first off, the vast majority of people on movies have already been paid by the time it hits the theater. And for those who would have gotten residuals, well, we now know that they weren't getting paid residuals anyway. So, yeah, the whole moral and ethical argument against piracy doesn't exist anymore, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh... Something I can't believe I'm saying, but 3D is still hanging in there. And I'm not talking about movies, you know, theatrically. I think 3D in the theater, that's not going to go away. Or I'd be, I'd be very surprised if it goes away. Obviously, at home, that's a different story. And I've, I've talked about that ad nauseum, about how it was a combination of theaters screwing up, uh, TV manufacturers getting greedy, 3D Blu-ray manufacturers getting greedy, you know, the studios and so forth. I've gone over that. But it's not quite dead yet. Apparently, Apple has announced the upcoming title, or, or its upcoming Godzilla Universe TV series. Uh, the first one titled Monarch Legacy of Monsters. going to start uh, star Kurt Russell, Wyatt Russell, and so forth. But apparently, parts of this show have been filmed in Apple's immersive video format, ready for a 3D playback on Apple's upcoming Vision Pro headset. Now, before you think, you know, oh, this is cool, I get to watch, you know, some movies in 3D again. Yeah, that Apple Vision Pro headset? Apple's pulling an Apple. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong, they, they are advertising it as entertainment. They are talking about making it the ultimate theater, so movies are definitely an integral part of what Apple is trying to do with this thing. So yeah, it, it makes sense that it's going to have 3D capabilities in there, especially when they're talking about how they expect it to have a better than 4K resolution per eye. Now, the reason why you might not want to jump for joy about this, possibly being some kind of, of 3D or personal theater revolution, is because Apple being Apple, they're charging $3,500 for these goggles. Yes, 
$3,500 because, you know, Apple. So, of course, this is all rumor and speculation. Apple has not confirmed the use of 3D cameras for any of its productions, although obviously where CG is involved, that's easy enough to do. And clearly the companies out there that take 2D and convert it into 3D, they finally know what they're doing, as opposed to when 3D was really first becoming a thing. And people look like cardboard cutouts. You remember those days. But keep in mind that Apple did demo the 3D Dolby version cut of Avatar being played on its Vision Pro when they first announced it. So they definitely have, you know, making it a personal theater in mind. And they do have 3D in mind. So it's not dead just yet. Plus, there was an article on Tech Radar talking about uh, a company called Magnetic 3D. And apparently this company is preparing to bring its glasses-free 3D TVs to consumers. Now, this is going to use in, in the, the way that we all really know 3D, the lenticular process where you can look at a cereal box or something like that, and you can get a 3D image or it'll change images based on how you look at it. That's how this process is supposed to work. So right now they're working on a 55-inch glasses-free 3D TV, but this company put out a demo for it, uh, and apparently this TV weighs 80 pounds. There's no eye tracking, which that's kind of important for making this really work for families. Otherwise, you will kind of be restricted to sweet spots. But supposedly, this company has been selling this brand of 3D TV to retailers uh, and for commercial use, but now they're hoping to get it back into consumers' hands. So they're marketing sets that run from 43 to 65 inches. And not only that, they're also introducing glasses-free 3D tablets. Now, I mean, that certainly would make it, make things interesting. Now, as for the TVs, as much as they say they want to get it in, into consumers' hands, yeah, I hope you won the lottery. On their low end, their sets start at $10,000. And the high end, their 65-inch uh, TV, is roughly $20,000. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. But, I mean, James Cameron and Dolby have been working on glasses-free 3D technology for a few years now. It's the one thing that James Cameron has said really is required for people to come back into 3D. And clearly he's serious about it, and he's got the power behind him because his latest Avatar movie was released on Blu-ray 3D. I've got one, thanks thanks to my friend Matt over at Blue. Give him a bit of a shout-out, D-O-B-L-U dot com. And a lot of 3D discs are still being released over in Japan, although to import them is, uh, yeah. By the time you deal, you deal with, with conversion and shipping, it comes out to about $75 a title to have them shipped from Japan to the States. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, speaking of DVD... Uh, as I've mentioned before, as of September 29th, Netflix will no longer be renting DVDs by mail, which is absolutely batshit crazy. Um, I've been a subscriber to the service for a long time. It sucks that after all this time, it's it's ending. I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know why they don't just ask for a price increase. I don't know why they don't sell it. The owners of Redbox have said straight up, hey, we are interested in buying your DVD rental business. For whatever reason, Netflix has been completely ignoring them. Because supposedly Redbox has been after them for this for a few years now. But whatever, as of the end of this month, Netflix's DVD service is going to finally 
after 25 years go away. But that doesn't mean that DVD rental is going away. As I said, Redbox, they have their service. But America's largest independent video store is going to take its DVD by mail service nationwide. So Scarecrow, which is the largest independent video store in the U.S., has launched its own rent-by-mail service. Uh, They first piloted it back in 2009, and in 2021, they launched a campaign to raise funds to overhaul its website, make it more searchable, and so forth. So now, their rent-by-mail website is live with step-by-step instructions on how to utilize it and search their library. And when I say their library, now... uh, Apparently, Netflix's DVD service has about 5,000 titles in its U.S. catalog. Scarecrow has 140,000 titles in their collection, most, but not all of which, you can rent by mail. So according to this, you need to sign up for an account, and you will have to be verified and approved by a staff member, whatever that means, and then you can start adding DVDs to the cart. Titles are priced individually, uh, but shipping will cost you $12 for up to six discs. So it's going to be $12 shipping no matter how many you rent. The, it says the, uh, the, that's also for six discs, not titles, discs. So if a movie has multiple discs or you're trying to rent out a TV series, you can only do six discs at a time. Uh, the rental window, unlike Netflix where you basically keep it until you return it, the rental window is 14 days. That includes shipping. Uh, and after that, you can either renew by phone or pay late fees. Now, as for what you cannot rent, there are a couple of exceptions. Rare and out-of-print videos require a security deposit. Uh, newly released movies and adult titles cannot be rented. They also do not rent their VH... Not, for, not by mail, anyway. Their VHS tapes or their laser discs. So if you're looking for those, you're still going to have to go someplace else. So hopefully this will all work out for them. And uh, but like I said, discs still are not going away. In fact, I'm hoping, hoping that there will be a little bit of a resurgence of disc purchases, rentals, whatever. Seeing as how you know, we've talked about this before, that so many streaming services are taking material completely off the air. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of people complaining about well, when is this going to be available for streaming? When is that going to be available for streaming? I can't get that for streaming. So hopefully people will, I'm going to sound a bit, this is going to sound a little bit arrogant, I don't care. Hopefully people will wake the frick up and realize that streaming is not the panacea that they've made it out to be. There are limitations, and clearly discs are still being sold. In fact, and I found this to be interesting, Walmart is reportedly in talks with studio distribution services about helping to manage parts of its physical media business. Now, SDS is a joint venture. I've talked about this in the podcast before. Uh, Universal Pictures and Warner Brothers, back in 2021, got together to distribute DVDs, Blu-rays, and Ultra HD Blu-rays for the North American market. So according to this, despite cutting back on its floor space that's allocated to discs by about 20%, Walmart remains the single largest retailer of DVDs and Blu-rays with an estimated market share of more than 45%. Now, keep in mind, discs are still generating in about $2 billion in consumer spending just in the States. So, yeah, $2 billion a year, that's not insignificant. And that's really not a sign that discs are going away, which means 
based on that 45%, Walmart's disc business is about $940 million per year. So Eddie Cunningham, who is currently in charge of SDS and used to be the former president of Universal Pictures Home Entertainment, said that uh, SDS was initially set up for Warner Brothers, Universal, and their partners, but it was built in a way that would allow it to scale up easily. We believed that consolidation was inevitable at some point as the market matured over time, and we wanted to be in a position where we could support moves in that direction, but only when retailers and other studios were ready for it. So he kind of knew that when it came to disc distribution, at least in the U.S., uh, well, North America, I guess, that there would be some level of consolidation. You know, why should Disney keep manufacturing their discs on their own when they could have SDS distribute discs for them, that sort of thing. But yeah, so discs being $2 billion a year, yeah, that that's not an insignificant amount. And to show how much Walmart is still seriously behind disc sales, Disney is releasing a 100-movie, 118-disc Legacy Animated Film Collection on Blu-ray. It's going to be released on November 14th, and it's only going to be available at Walmart. So it's being called the Disney Legacy Animated Film Collection. It's 100 different animated movies. Uh, that includes Walt Disney Animation, Disney, and Pixar. And the reason why it's 118 discs is because 18 of the Pixar titles that are included include the special features discs. Now, there's a catch. Uh, many of the movies have already been released on Blu-ray uh, with their bonus special features. Uh, so, And apparently none of these movies have been remastered. So if you already have any of these on Blu-ray, then you're simply going to get the exact same thing. Now, on the other hand... There's one title that has never been available on Blu-ray before, which is going to be Pooh's Heffalump Movie from 2005. And there are going to be a couple of others that have only been available through the Disney Movie Club, such as Saludos Amigos, The Three Caballeros, Melody Time, Black Cauldron, uh, A Goofy Movie, and a couple of others. So yeah, the collection goes all the way from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs back in 1937 up to this year's Elemental. They're all going to be included in this box set. And of course, I have not mentioned the price yet. <laughs> it's going to cost $1,500. So, I mean, it's got some really cool box art. It looks like it's going to be having a book with it, uh, like a lithograph and so forth. So that's going to include things other than just the discs. But $1,500? You, you have to really be a big Disney animation fan for that one. So, finally... We get to movies and the box office. Oh, wow. All right, so Barbie is a juggernaut, an absolute juggernaut. It's going to be out on streaming very shortly, but as of uh, last week, it was still in 3,000 North American theaters after nine weeks. That's crazy. 3,000 theaters after nine weeks? But as I'm looking at it right now, it is now the biggest box office movie of this year. Currently at $1.4 million, it has beaten uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie, which came in at $1.36 million. It's, it's just unstoppable at this point. So right now, Barbie is number one for this year at $1.4 billion. The Super Mario Brothers movie at $1.36 billion. Oppenheimer 
has now gone up to 911 million, surpassing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which brought in 845 million. Fast X is in number five with 714 million. And the number six movie so far is Spider Man Across the Spider Verse with 686 million dollars this year. And because of juggernauts like Barbie and Oppenheimer and so forth, it looks like the summer box office is ready to hit $4 billion, which is only the 13th time ever. This is definitely a comeback story because right now, uh, movie ticket sales for the summer are 17% ahead of last summer, although it is a few percentage points behind 2019. But still, I, I'm... <laughs> I've been wrong about a lot of things since I've started this podcast. You know, I, I was convinced that HD DVD was going to win. We see how that happened. I was convinced that 3D TV would be ubiquitous. Every TV would have every TV would have 3D because why not? You don't want it, just don't use it. Yeah, I was wrong on that one too. But I did stand very firmly, uh, you know, with with all the people who are saying, oh, because of COVID, streaming is going to take over and theaters are going to die out. Nobody will want to go to the movie theaters anymore. Yeah, clearly, if you put the right content out there, you put the right kind of movies out there, people want to go to the theater. There's a social aspect to seeing a movie in a theater that you cannot get at home. It all comes down to the right kind of movie. Let's face it, I'm I'm suffering from superhero burnout. I think a lot of people are suffering from superhero burnout. The Flash is considered to be a bomb. Uh, it only gained $286 million worldwide. It probably cost more than that just to make it. And then you throw on advertising and distribution and all of that. It definitely came out in the negative. Blue Beetle is is a bomb. That is that's only made 120 million dollars worldwide. I think Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is a bit of an exception because we knew that this is going to be the last Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and I think people wanted to see how it ended, which I mean that's fine. Plus it's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's usually a lot more fun than other movies are. But I mean you put the right movies out there and people want to see them. We've seen nothing like Barbie in a long time, and it's Margot Robbie. Oppenheimer has been very critically acclaimed, so that's no surprising that that's ready to hit a billion dollars. I mean, Warner Brothers must be really happy right now, considering that Blue Beetle and The Flash, which are both their movies, bombed. So here come here come Barbie and, and Oppenheimer to the rescue. The only thing that makes me concerned about Barbie is that now Mattel is now getting involved with, oh, we're gonna look at how well Barbie did. So now we're gonna have a whole bunch of our other our you know our other toys and turn them into movies so we can make even more money. Yeah, the problem is. Barbie was more than just the toy. It was the story. It was Margot Robbie. It was the direction. I mean, what made Barbie a big hit is a lot more than just the fact that it was a Mattel toy brought to life. Well, I guess Mattel has to learn the same lessons that Hasbro did. Anyway, also regarding uh, theater successes, the 40th anniversary screaming, screaming, screening, the Talking Heads concert film Stop Making Sense, which has been recently remastered and so forth, has become IMAX's biggest live event screening ever. So it earned $640,000, which might not seem like a lot, but we're talking we're talking the big IMAX theaters, which are only available in certain parts of the, of the world. Uh, it's sold out on 25 screens across 165 IMAX locations in North America, so this was a 4K restoration of the 1984 con, uh, concert film. And by the time you hear this podcast, it will have an exclusive run in IMAX theaters 
and it will eventually be in theaters everywhere on September 29th. So that $640,000 was a one-night-only screening, and that one screening has become their largest live event screening ever. So, you know, once again, this is one of those things that people want to see things in theaters. They want to go back to the theaters. And IMAX is now pivoting to more exclusive film screenings with stars and filmmakers taking part in live question-and-answer sessions. Uh, if I remember correctly, the, the, the talking heads were actually at Toronto's screening, and they were able to answer questions. And even though you know, there were some issues with theaters closing down or going through bankruptcy, like Regal Cinemas just, just came out of bankruptcy, AMC was having a little bit of problems with it. Uh, apparently, Los Angeles is seeing a movie theater resurgence with a new wave of openings and renovations. So I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Uh, Cinepolis? I'm not sure, but uh, Luxury Cinemas opened one of the world's only dine-in IMAX locations in July. Amazon Amazon renovated and has been operating the Culver Theater since December 2022. Landmark closed one of its locations last year, but then opened up a new theater on Sunset Boulevard in June. Quentin Tarantino's Vista Theater and Netflix Egyptian Theater. So yes, Netflix owns a theater too. They're both undergoing renovations. And the Egyptian is planning to add an LED billboard to its roof. A video store, it's a non-profit video store in L.A. called Vidiots. That's been open since 1985. They actually opened its own theater right next to their video store. Well, they had to open a new store in Eagle Rock uh, after their Santa Monica location was forced to close. But this new theater seats 271 people. Two to three screenings a day ranging from old art house classic to recent blockbusters. And they still rent out roughly 1,200 movies a week at their video store. And, to top it all off, Netflix is, well, they now own and have renovated uh, an art house cinema in New York. It's called the Paris Theater. It's back online. Netflix has added a bunch of upgrades, including a new Dolby Atmos sound system. It can now play 70mm film. In fact, their lineup for 70mm, now granted, this, this was a while ago, so... Unfortunately, this is an older article. My bad, but still, it shows that theaters are not going away. They're coming back strong. But some of their 70mm lineup includes 2001 A Space Oddity. Oddity. <laughs> Ground control, I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I must be getting tired. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Lawrence of Arabia, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Top Gun in 70mm. Although it does say here they won't operate the Paris as a normal theater uh, and book first-run title from other distributors. But, I mean, they're still going to use it for original movies, special events, retrospectives, filmmaker appearances. But it has over 500 seats. It's now the largest Dolby Atmos cinema in Manhattan, and it's also the city's last remaining single-screen theater. So those of you who love movies and love going to theaters, take heart. Even if you still haven't started to go back to them because of COVID, that's okay. Movie theaters are not going anywhere. Are they going to be as big and, you know, as popular as they were pre-COVID? Maybe, maybe not. But they're not going anywhere. And if you are in this category of people, this is even a bigger reason to go to the theaters. Taylor Swift's record-breaking The Eras Tour is now headed to movie theaters. Obviously, this concert has been selling out everywhere. Uh, if you really wanted to get a ticket to go to see the concert, good freaking luck. 
So Taylor Swift, who is by no means a dummy, she's she's really smart. She and her father have bypassed all of the Hollywood studios. So apparently they went to the various Hollywood studios to try to cut a deal where they could have the tour live or have the tour recorded and then shown as a, a, a you know a concert event in various theaters, just like Stop Making Sense. But apparently none of the studios were very cooperative or they wanted too much money or whatever. So uh, Taylor Swift and her dad decided to do it on their own. So apparently they spent about $10 million to $20 million to do the recording and the production and so forth. They hired Sam Wrench to direct it, uh, filmed it at one of her Los Angeles concerts, and now they have negotiated with AMC to bring the Eras Tour to the big screen starting on October 13th. So what makes it best, you know, great for them is that they could now cut out the middleman. They could go straight to AMC and say, hey, let's make a deal. So the tour kicked off in March and has already brought in $1.4 billion in earnings. So by dealing with AMC directly, instead of having to work through studios, they can now increase their potential earnings, seeing as how they now are the sole, you know, they are the ones who are going to get the profit from it. AMC is going to receive 43% of the box office revenue with the remaining 57% for Swift. So the movie is scheduled to be screened in over uh, 1,000 theaters across the U.S., not just in AMC, but also Cinemark and Regal locations. AMC is going to offer four daily screenings from Thursdays to Sundays, and apparently both parties have agreed to allow the movies to showcase the film for a duration of up to 26 weeks. So as long as the demand is there, it could be in theaters for up to six months. And if you're wondering about the whole writers writers and directors and blah, 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 all the strikes going on, apparently uh, this has been confirmed by Billboard that it was shot via an interim agreement and has not breached any strike rules. So if you are a Swifty and you haven't had a chance to go to the concert, at least you'll be able to see the concert on the big screen. But what's funnier is that so many studios are now so afraid of what she's going to do to the box office they are literally switching the release dates for some of their movies so that they won't get crushed by the eras tour so universal has now pushed the exorcist the believer a week ahead to open on october 6th instead of going head to head with it on october 13th the daisy ridley led marsh king's daughter was originally set to premiere on October 6th, the week before uh, the Eras Tour comes into theaters. That's now being pushed back to November 3rd, specifically because of uh, the Taylor Swift concert. And Sony's Dumb Money, uh, which was, well, it was supposed to break wide on October 6th, which was the week before. It's now going to break wide on September 29th. And all of this is because of the Taylor Swift concert. And if you don't, if you're wondering, can that really be that much of a juggernaut? Oh yeah! In the first 24 hours of sales, uh, the all three of them, AMC, Regal, and Cinemark, the Eras Tour brought in 37 million dollars in ticket sales in the first 24 hours. Now, got a bit of news here. Uh, don't know by the time you hear this what the situation is going to be, but apparently. It is possible that the strike with the Writers Guild Association is going to be ending, possibly. As I say this, tomorrow negotiations are set, and there's a lot of speculation that the strike could end tomorrow. Again, by the time you hear this, it might have already happened. So we'll see what goes on. 
if I get this podcast recorded and finished, I might wait until tomorrow night to see what's what and then fully conclude the podcast, just edit it up and say, hey, here's here's the update from the Writers Guild. Now, granted, that's just the Writers Guild. That's That doesn't have anything to do with SAG-AFTRA. That's a whole other set of issues. So we'll we'll see what's going on with that one. Um, so yeah, and you know, and related to that, there are some things that I really don't understand, and I'd like to hear from all three of you, because <laughs> I don't understand this. A lot of movies, and in fact, hold on, let me find these here. So let's see. Dune Part 2, yes, I actually print these off, that way I can write notes, I can highlight them, that sort of thing. I actually have a printer! That and I print show notes on paper. I know, crazy. Aunt. I recycle them. Don't worry. But Dune Part Two has been pushed back. Uh, it, it was supposed to show on November third. It has now been pushed back to March fifteenth of next year because of the actors' strike. Because of that, uh, Godzilla vs Kong: The New Empire was pushed back to April twelfth. That was supposed to open on March fifteenth. Warner Brothers animated movie Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim was supposed to open on April 12th of next year. That's now being pushed to December 13th of next year, which kind of makes sense because the, the Peter Jackson movies all came out in December as well. But other movies such as Wonka still going to come out on December 15th, Aquaman going to come out on December 20th, and Color Purple going to come out on December 25th. And what I find interesting about all of this is that the reason why a lot of these movies have been pushed back is because of the SAG after strikes and because when the actors are on strike, they cannot go out and they cannot promote the movies that they're starring in. And, and according to this, uh, several sources are saying that a movie's earnings at the box office could be hurt by as much as 15% because of what they're calling the dramatic fall-off in talent-driven publicity. And I'm just wondering... How much of that really matters? Are there really people out there who are on the fence about watching a movie until they can see an interview with somebody who is in that movie and then decide, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see it now? Really? Am I the only one who doesn't give a rat's rear end about the publicity that the stars do? I mean, uh, the, the new Turtles movie... Uh, apparently, it's already considered, I guess it's considered to be a profit. It's made more than twice as much as it costs to produce. But apparently, they are blaming that it hasn't made more money because Seth Rogen hasn't been able to go out and do any press because of the strike. And I'm just wondering, does that really matter? Do you care? D does seeing an actor in a movie and have them do their press and so forth and their interviews before a movie is released... Has that ever swayed you to go and see a movie that you didn't plan on seeing beforehand? I really want to know because I'm having trouble buying this. You know, an another part of this article says a top marketing executive at another studio notes that no amount of paid advertising can make up for the kind of awareness a star can ignite if a personal from a personal social media post, interview or other promotional bit, especially if it goes viral. I don't know. I'm having trouble. <laughs> I'm having a lot of trouble buying that. Maybe it's because because of the show that I do. I try to stay aware of all of these movies beforehand, which the general public most likely wouldn't. And I understand that. That means that I have to look at a lot of, of press releases and things like that. So I'm aware of a lot of these movies and I keep tabs as much as I can 
on previews and so forth that are released, trailers, that sort of thing. But are there really people out there who have have decided, well, I did I wasn't going to go see that movie, but now somebody posted it on Instagram, you know, the star of that movie posted on Instagram, so now I'm pumped. Really? Really? Am I am I an outlier on this one? I really would like to know. Podcast at widescreen.org. Send me an email. Tell me if I'm off my rocker on this one or not. The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is coming out on November 17th. That's that's a Hunger Games prequel. But if you've never seen the original Hunger Games on the big screen, or you simply want to see it again on the big screen, it is going to be available through Fathom Events on October 15th and 18th. And it looks like it is going to be a wide release because it's even going to be, I mean, I'm in the middle of Pennsylvania, and it's going to be in two theaters in my area on the 15th, and probably the same two on the 18th. No, a few different ones on the 18th. So there is a good chance that it will be shown in your area. So if you want to see the movie that started it all on the big screen for the first time, or you want to see it again, then this is your chance. So this one is kind of cool because I've got not one, not two, but three articles regarding streaming services that are now going to be releasing some of their IPs theatrically. The first one is Warrior Nun, which originally was shown on Netflix for two seasons. That is set to come back as a trilogy of theatrically released movies. Or at least, right now, that's the assumption. They're simply saying that it's not going to happen at Netflix. They're calling them motion pictures and uh, feature films, which... You know, maybe maybe I'm jumping the gun saying it's going to be a theatrical release, but it was popular enough with fans to get three movies made after the series was canceled. And the language of the article is kind of implying that it's going to be something more theatrical based. We'll see. As, as I said earlier, I've been wrong before. We'll see if this is one of them. The Apple original film Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese, is now going to get a wide global theatrical release after a partnership with Paramount on October 20th. So Apple was originally going to release the film in a limited run on October 6th, but now, bolstered by the success of Barbie and Oppenheimer, they are now releasing wide on October 20th, and they're also saying that a run on IMAX is also part of the plan. And finally, uh, Donald Glover was set to come back in a new Lando TV series on uh, Disney+. Plus. And if you have not seen Solo, just watch it. Seriously, for, forget the fact that it was the only Star Wars movie that financially bombed. It was a good movie. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. And Donald Glover freaking just nailed his impersonation of Billy D. Williams' Lando Calrissian. He totally embodied Billy D. Williams. He did a fantastic job. But now it's been noted directly from Stephen Glover, his brother, that instead of Lando being a series release on Disney+, Plus, it is now going to be a theatrical feature film. Now, they admit that right now, because of the strikes that are going on, it's a game of telephone chasing right now. But regardless of what, you know, of what people think of Solo critically and so forth, his role as Lando was a hit with just about everyone. Because he did, he did so well. So it's no surprise that it was going to get a series. But it's cool that it's going to still get a feature film, even though it's no longer going to be a series. So you, some of you who might have been around for a while might remember a few years ago that Annapurna Pictures, the independent movie company, 
was running into a lot of financial issues and a lot of problems, even though their video games division was doing very well, and still is actually doing very well. They've got a lot of great games out. They recently shifted uh, to their an- with an animation division called Annapurna Animation, and their debut feature was Nimona on Netflix, which has received a huge amount of acclaim. I love that movie. I've seen it many times already. If you have not seen that movie, I cannot recommend it enough. It is such a well-done movie. Well, now they're moving into their next phase, which is to take the video game Stray, which is a very popular, award-winning indie game, and that's going to be their next movie. Now, I have not yet played Stray. I want to. I've seen other friends play it, and it's basically a dystopian movie about a cat trying to figure out what happened to all the humans. There are a whole bunch of robots, and there's a lot of history in the game that you have to try to figure out as the game goes along, but it has been very well received. Uh, several friends of mine absolutely love that game. They have been pressuring me to to play it on stream, which I still might do, but it's very much a, a story-driven game. And now Annapurna has announced that a movie based on Stray is in active development. So that's all we've got. No release date, nothing. There's no announcement either on where it's going to be. So Nimona was released on Netflix. This might be as well. I don't know. But considering what they did with Nimona and how much friends of mine love Stray, I'm expecting this to be a very well-received movie. We'll see what happens. I will let you know as soon as I find out more. Okay, last thing here. Uh, I waited a day or two. Still no end to the WGA strike. They're going to be talking throughout the weekend, so screw it. I'm just going to finish this up and get this podcast all done, which means, of course, that there's going to be WGA strike news as soon as I upload this and put up the show notes and all that. Yeah, that's the way it works. So finally, a long-lost original X-Wing fighter from the original movie has been found. It was considered to be lost for four decades, and it's finally resurfaced, and it's going to be going up for auction in October. This is the original X-Wing model for Red 1, which was Red Leader. Uh, and this, is, this X-Wing is one of four that were used during the filming that have actual servo-controlled wings and lights. So these models were built for close-ups and were used in the final battle, including the trench run. So according to visual effects historian Gene Kozicki, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, this model has not been displayed or modified since it left ILM. For those of us that grew up in the 70s or 80s, and those of us that work in visual effects, this model is as significant a find as the Ruby Red Slippers or the Maltese Falcon. So this model was found in the collection of late Oscar-nominated model maker Greg Jane, who also made models for Star Trek and, and several other movies, and it was found while helping Jane's family catalog uh, his various collections. So apparently, uh, Kazuki said that he and other ILM uh, visual effects supervisors found it, saying, I knew something was probably in the box, just a basic cardboard box, so I started to carefully scoop out the packaging peanuts when the nose of the X-Wing showed itself. The four of us knew immediately that it was the actual filming model, and then the magnitude of the discovery started to set in. Jane's work was also Oscar-nominated for the movie 1941 and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but... He didn't keep a record of any of the collection that he had. So this model was actually considered to be relatively, like, like it was more of a fabled piece, saying that it was the so-called missing X-Wing, and now all four of the original uh, servo-controlled and lit-up X-Wings have been found. 
So this will be getting sold uh, at Heritage Auction on October 14th and 15th in Dallas. And the bidding is going to start at $400,000. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I've got I've got that money laying around right right here somewhere. That, that money is as missing as the X-Wing was. So anyway, another piece of Star Wars history has been found. And this podcast is now history. Well, this episode is. That was a... I hate segues, but that one worked. <laughs> that one worked. So, all right, show number three hundred and seven is done. Super late, I know, I know. Hopefully, now that the, the looks like well, at least looks like the writers' guild strike might be over. We'll see what happens with SAG-AFTRA. But anyway, that's it for this episode. And as I now say at the end of every single one of my streams, that's Twitch.tv/WidescreenJohn. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other and uh, toodles. I could pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Trying to keep us real, keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight and there ain't. We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe, my heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe It's a better day. This podcast is copyright 2023 and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. The widescreen podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. Ad. That that is that that's blueberries with no e. dot com. No e's at all. In fact, fame music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com. This has been. A widescreen.org production. And that's the truth.